The Rollo Hemphill Misadventures, My Inflatable Friend, the sequel, Rubber Babes, <laughs> available at Barnes & Noble. I'm going to read from the third, Farnsworth's Revenge. Attaboy Pasha and I descended into the sous-sole of his spacious palace. It was just the two of us enclosed in a small high-tech stainless steel cocoon of an elevator that barely whispered as it glided ever downward. Descending numbers on the LED display indicated we were going down through not one, but several subterranean levels. There was no conversation. He looked smug. Apparently, I'd yet to see the most impressive of his toys. What could he have down here that would change the future of the world? A Turkish wine so subtle and complex as to rock the viticulture economies of California and France? An architecturally correct HO layout? Or was my story about to take a darker turn? Did Attaboy have some living world leader bound and gagged in his basement torture chamber, the next MLK, Rabin, or El Baradai, some populist, idealist, cult hero who has grown so adored he can't be allowed to live? I looked over at him. He's amused because he knows. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows I could never guess. The elevator came to rest ever so gently. The indicators showed we'd arrived at level zero. The door slid open and we stepped out into a brightly lit cavern that did indeed look and feel by its cold, clammy atmosphere very much like a wine cellar, but there was not a bottle or a cask in sight. The corridor was about the size of a subway car and its bare walls were unadorned except for the glistening seepage that issued through cracks ancient enough to leave discernible tracks of calcium from the internal dissolving limestone. As we neared the end of what I thought was the corridor, it veered sharply to the right and sloped downward. Its walls became irregular in shape as artificial human construction gave way to natural formations. A halogen lighting system made the place look cold and industrial, like some military command center buried deep inside a mountain. We were in an ancient cave embedded in the shores of the Bosphorus, which in this part of the world would no doubt have been a refuge for errant concubines escaped from the harem, fleeing before squads of murderous eunuchs, or Christians hiding from Muslims, or pagans from Christian Romans, Greeks from Spartans, early hominids from saber-toothed tigers. People lived and died down here. The thought recurred that my mission might be to liberate his torture victim. Some operative of ours had been captured and long thought dead. I wondered whether this urbane latter-day sultan, a grown-up boy who played with life-size dolls, nursed other perversions that ran to cruelty and the gleeful practice of evil without civilized consequences. As our path turned again, we came upon a walled-up grotto and an imposing armed door. A guard in camouflage fatigue stood by it, his burly knuckles wrapped around gleaming Kalashnikov. His body stiffened to full attention as he caught sight of Attaboy, and he saluted curtly. Attaboy just nodded in reply, and from a compartment beside the door, he retrieved two pairs of goggles. He put his on first, then indicated I do the same. The large round lenses made him look like a giant insect, the tragically transformed mad doctor in the fly. I guessed what we were about to see was experimental and dangerous. He punched the keys on a cipher locks in the door and it swung open with a barest hiss. As we entered, the door closed automatically after us. It occurred to me that the guard might have no idea what or whom he was guarding or why. 
The lenses of the protective goggles were so dark I could barely see. The grotto was about the size of a basketball court. At first I had the impression that long stalactites protruded from the high ceilings, but as my eyes became accustomed to the room's dim halogen glow, I realized these were thick cables which converged on the cylindrical cabinet in the center of the floor about the size of a coffin stood on end. He has Howard Hughes on ice. <laughs> Attaboy stepped over to the cabinet and reached for the handle on its hatch door. I give you, he said quietly, the assured survival of the human race. He opened the door nonchalantly as he would reach for a cold one from the refrigerator. An intense, sickly green light flooded the room in a matter of seconds as the photosensitive goggles became increasingly opaque. The glare became just bearable and I could see. What I saw was no human face. Nothing human or living at all. It looked like a glowing glass of fluorescent lemonade. The liquid bubbled gently around the electrodes immersed in it. Electric arcs shot up along the coils connecting to the electrodes of the network of cables above. Apparently, I had the mad scientist part right. Some kind of battery? He was amused. This cell powers not only my entire compound, but also most of the Taksim district of Istanbul, as well as the city's electric trams. I could own the electric utility, but I am content to avoid their monthly bills. Until that moment, I had thought a cold chill up the spine was a figure of speech, but it ran through me then. Is this, is this some kind of cold fusion? Again with the wry amusement, don't be ridiculous, he said. And in no hurry to explain, he paused, shot me his most congenial radiant smile. As everyone knows, cold fusion is impossible. It's a joke, I added, trying to sound like a professional colleague who knew all about it. Yes, a joke, he mused. He was about to reclose the hatch. He stared thoughtfully at the little cauldron of bubbling soda pop. There's nothing a scientist fears more than to seem ridiculous to his peers. He closed the door, extinguishing the glare. He removed his goggles, and I was relieved to do the same. His smile had disappeared. It has to be lukewarm, he said. <laughs>